I feel like just jumping right in. Is that okay? Philippians chapter 4, we've been looking at for a few weeks. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't know about you, but I'm so ready for this series to be over. <laughs> it's been so hard, right? It's so hard. We, uh, I've been trying to follow Jesus seriously for about 20 years, and I've got some, if not a lot, of my actions and words under control. But now Jesus is saying he wants access to my thoughts. He wants to be Lord over my mind. It's hard. And so I think this is another uh, time for us, Providence Church, I think it seems is another place where we're supposed to say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you everything. Okay, Jesus, I'll give you everything. I'll lay down my whole life. So I've got an image that looks like the program that we've been filling in over the last few weeks. You can see uh, if you like filling in those blanks, we'll be getting down to those last two that are these words, excellent and praiseworthy. Excellent and praiseworthy. Back to the verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you can see the words excellent and praiseworthy are, are talking about all the other words, that the things that are true and noble and right and lovely, those things are excellent or praiseworthy. But also, it seems like Paul is saying, I'm not even giving you an exhaustive list. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, then set your mind on those things. This whole month, uh, th these verses have been sort of calling us higher, calling our, our minds even higher, to set our minds in a different place. To, uh, in a way, what I feel like Paul is doing here is, is almost just like lifting our heads up, like I can sort of feel his, uh, his hand under my chin sometimes to like push my chin up and get to a higher place and a higher way of thinking um, Anything is excellent or praiseworthy. I want to tell you about uh, a faithful man named Jay Sims, a faithful member of our church who passed away unexpectedly just a couple of weeks ago. This is a picture of him, and uh, many of you will, will recognize Jay. I'll give you even just a moment because some of you may not have known that he passed away. He was a true light in our church. And the reason that many of you might recognize his face without even knowing his name is because Jay served communion every week. How many of you guys can remember Jay serving you communion? Look around. Oh, my gosh. And Jay had this very unique and memorable way, a deliberate way of serving communion. So here's how we do that. If you're new with this, uh, we'll take a piece of bread, and we put it in, in your hand, and your, your hands are kind of right here, so the bread goes in your hand, and you dip it in the cup. But here's what Jay would do. He would break off the bread, and he would put the bread right here. And so when you came forward to communion, whether you wanted to or not, you had to lift your head up to see the bread. And guess what was right behind the bread? Jay's face. And you had to look at Jay. You had to look him in the eyes. And this is what Jay would say. He had the same thing he said to every person. He would say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. On Christmas Eve, we had this one service that was just totally packed out. 
the room was full. I mean, like every seat was taken. We had two overflow rooms. We had people standing on the sides of the room. And so after I finished my sermon, uh, there wasn't even a seat for me to go back to, so I just kind of made my way around. I found myself in the sound booth in the back, standing up high. Communion was going on, and I noticed that we had six lines of communion, and five of the lines were kind of finishing up, moving slowly. And there was this one line right over here that I promise you there were like 200 people that were still yet to come through communion. And this is a major problem. Like, this is going to affect Mount Juliet traffic patterns. Uh, this, is my, this is my job, right? And so I have, to, I have to confess, I looked down, and you know what I saw? Jay, holding bread up in front of everybody. And so, uh, and I've told this to his wife, Leanne. This is a confession. I have control problems, you know. I walked from the back down to Jay, and I put my arm around him. And like, Jay and I are buddies, okay? So I know Jay. I put my arm around him. I said, Jay, you're going to have to speed this thing up. <laughs> and he looked at me surprised. He said, oh, yes, Pastor Jacob, you got it. And then he didn't change a dang thing. <laughs> he took every piece of And here's why. Because Jay knew that every person that would come meant something. Meant something to God and meant something to him. Jay believed in the vision of this church, which is to see disconnected people connect with Jesus. And he'd heard me talk about and Pastor Mark talk about for a month that on Christmas Eve, it's an important night. There's going to be people here who don't usually come to church. There'll be people here that have never heard the story of Jesus. And so Jay did not take my counsel and instead, he looked everybody in the eye and said, this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. It reminds me of a, of a good coach. You know, like a good coach, a really good coach knows the difference in the timing of when you're going to give practical instruction and then when you're going to do something much different that may even be more important, which is urge your team to go higher, to lift themselves up. So a good coach will know when they're supposed to, to yell out and talk about correct footwork or the right placement on the, on the court or on the field, and they'll know that also there's this moment where you also have to say, no, 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 I've got to lift their, I got to lift their heads up. My daughter Lydia plays volleyball. Right now she has a great coach. I love watching her on the sidelines of volleyball because she will know exactly when to give the instruction and when to lift them up. And a few weeks ago we were at a volleyball tournament in Gatlinburg, and this is kind of our first go in this kind of like, club level sports. And here's parents at the end, what happens at the tournament is they turn you upside down and just shake all the money uh, out, of, out of you. But in the, myth, in the middle of it, they play games. And so in one of these games, Lydia's team was playing another team. And it was kind of just clear from the outset that you can see, and I was just talking about this game, that Lydia's team was way better. Just they were more talented. They were more together. We're just watching the warm-ups. You know, the parents kind of relax. The first game, Lydia's team wins big, 25 to 10. Uh, the next game, they were up like 20 to 10, and then something happened. The team on the other side, they started kind of grit, gritting and grinding their way back, clawing their way back, playing with a lot of heart. They ended up tying the game up 25 to 25 and then winning. Then there was a third set tiebreaker. It's the best two out of three thing, and they beat Lydia's team. And so the coach after that game required that we all go to like a team dinner that afternoon together. Nobody wanted to go to a team dinner, right? Nobody was feeling it. And so there we go to Bubba Gump Shrimp Company on the Strip in Gatlinburg. Party of 36. It was terrible. We had to, the weight and, you know, we're a bunch of losers. You know, it's like this whole thing. And, and we finally get seated. 
And I sit down at the table with Lydia's coach. And so I just asked her out of curiosity because I'm fascinated with how great a coach she is. I said, tell me what happened in that game, you know, where we clearly had this advantage, um, but, but we lost. And she smiled. She said, I'll tell you exactly what happened. She said, the moment that the girls on the other side started to grit and grind and be tough, our girls lost their confidence for just for a moment. And I saw them drop their shoulders and drop their heads. They stopped talking which is a thing that she always, always encouraged them to do. They stopped encouraging each other. And this is what she said. She said, and then we just totally forgot who we were. I was like, whoa. And so then I began to realize why we were at Bubba Gump's for over two hours sitting there. The waiter was doing Forrest Gump movie trivia, which I dominate at, but it was like so much, you know, just on and on. And then I realized that she was going to sit at that table until those girls remembered who they were. And it happened. As the longer they were there, they remembered their 14-year-old girls and that nobody really remembers later who won or lost in a Gatlinburg tournament except some loser dad who has nothing else to hold on to, you know, in his sports career. And what happened is those girls, by the time we left, had remembered who they were. They had lifted their heads and they were ready to play the next day. Tell me if when you hear what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter 4, it doesn't sound to you like a good coach who realizes the difference between the timing of giving practical instruction, which is what we've been looking at for the last few weeks, and it's been hard. Paul's been saying, no, this is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what it's like to mature. This is what your mind's supposed to be set on. This is what you're supposed to be going after. This is the power that's available. All these kind of things, right? But then as chapter 4 starts, he gives us a therefore, and he says, finally, brothers and sisters, and then listen to how he talks. See if he doesn't sound like a coach. He says, you're my joy. You're my crown. I love you. I long for you. Stand firm, my dear friends. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say rejoice. Doesn't that sound like a cheer? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. He's lifting up the church. He's reminding them of who they are. He's, he's pushing them higher. He's lifting their chins up. I want to share with you four verses from Colossians chapter 3, which I know is a move, but the reason I'm doing it is because these verses, if you were to go and study where we've been in Philippians chapter 4, these verses are often paired together. So if you go look and go deeper, you'll find that a lot of people lift up Colossians 3 at the same time they're lifting up Philippians 4. And you'll see why real quick. Let me read the verses to you. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You heard it, right? Set your minds on things above. It's the same writer. It's a different place. It's a different book in, your, in the Bible. But it, it's, it's the same message. He's saying, lift up your minds. Set yourself higher. So why can I lift my head up? Here's what we learned from Colossians chapter 3. Why? Christ has been raised. It's a big deal. We talk about something crazy here every week, and we might get used to it, but that is Christ died a physical death and was put into a grave. But three days later, Christ was raised. Christ was raised from the dead. If you feel your head lifting just as I say that, that's a natural reaction to that statement. But why can I lift my head? Uh, a big reason is that we have been raised with Christ. Right? 
I have been raised up with Christ. That's what it says, if you have been raised with Christ. So here's the crazy thing. We believe that the resurrection of Christ happened with a real person in a real time in a real place. I know this is a crazy belief, and if you're not there yet, that's okay. I'm just kind of telling you what Christians believe, that we believe Jesus actually died <laughs> and that he was resurrected on a real day in history in a real place, which means that's a real event, a real historical event. But what Christians believe is we also believe that it's a, a sort of cosmic universal event. And what that means is that what happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus' resurrection means something for every person in this room. That it like actually means something for you. Christ was raised. Amazing. That is, the, that, is the, that is the universal cosmic event of all time. But we believe that we have been raised with Christ. And so that means if you're at a low point today, you can be raised. Uh, that means if you're at the, at the lowest point in your life, which may sound dramatic, but that may be somebody here today, you can be raised. I had somebody at the 8 o'clock service stop me after the 8 o'clock and they said, I came on Thursday night and I heard you say, if you're at a low point in your life, you could be raised. And he said, I didn't, I didn't hear anything else you said that night, but it gave me a hope to get through the weekend. And he said, I came to the 8 o'clock service the first opportunity I could to see what, what the other stuff you said was. <laughs> Christ has been raised. You have been raised. Some of you will say to me, but you don't know what I've done. Or some, I have people say to me, I've done the unforgivable stuff. And what I would say to you is, there is nothing that you have done that is more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross. So you can't, you can't put yourself in that spot. And so the resurrection is real, and it's real for you. Why can I lift my head? Listen to this verse. It is crazy. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, when Christ appears, I will appear with him in glory. I'll say that again. When Christ, he actually says, when Christ, who is my life, appears, I will appear with him in glory. I don't know exactly what that looks like or exactly what that means, but what it is saying is that Christians not only believe there was an event a long time ago with a real Jesus in a real time and a real place that gives us access to power, but there's actually another day that's coming in a real time and a real place with the same real Jesus when he will appear in glory, and we will appear with him in glory. On Monday, I got a phone call in the middle of the day. I was in the church office, and it was from a, a I hadn't seen in a long time an old friend from Murfreesboro where I used to serve as a, as a youth pastor. And uh, he called me to tell me that Brandon, this boy who had been in my uh, youth group when I was a youth pastor for eight years there, that he had died. I took my breath away. Um, Brandon was this beautiful, red-headed soccer player boy. He was super shy. He didn't talk much. But I taught him to play the guitar in the basement of the First Methodist um, uh, Church an hour or so before Bible study on Wednesday nights. But do you know uh, what else I had to do on Monday? All the same stuff that I always have to do on Monday. And so it was like it went in my brain, but I had to, immediately had to go to an appointment and then another appointment and then another appointment. And then I got home from work and I had to take uh, one of my daughters to physical therapy, volleyball, and I had to take her there. I took her there. And then as soon as I got home, Rachel was getting home from work and she's carrying all these groceries and she's like, click list. She's really excited about the click list thing right now. So she brings all these groceries in and we start making dinner and she starts uh, air frying French fries, which fries that have been air fried are nowhere near as good as fries that have been actually fried, like in grease and whatever you fry them in and oil. And I'm going to tell you the reason they're not as good, because they've been fried in air. And that is not a thing. Like, people are like, these are good. They're not. They're not that good at all. 
And so then uh, she gives me these hot dogs and tells me, I'm gonna, I didn't know I was grilling hot dogs, but here I am. I'm walking out into the dark with a, with a plate full of hot dogs, and I forgot to even turn the light on. And so I get my hot dogs on the grill, and I get the grill started, and I'm standing out there in the dark. I have seven or eight minutes, and then I groaned out loud. And I cried because Brandon died. This hard world... I have to forgive me. I've had to say this a few times. It's like this cruel world. I don't understand. I don't understand everything that happens. I don't always understand what God is up to. Why can I lift up my head? Like, why can I lift up my head? What I mean is like, how do you how do you put the hot dogs back on the plate and walk inside? How in the face of what we are facing? Well, I'll tell you the only way I know how. When Christ, who is my life, appears, I will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is Brandon's life, appears, Brandon will appear with him in glory. What we're talking about is not make-believe. It was a real event that happened. Christ was raised, and we will be raised here in this life. But then there's a day coming, guys. We're promised that Jesus will come back and make this big mess we're in right. And he's not just going to take us up and, and, and zoom us up to heaven. It says he's coming back to where we are, and he's bringing heaven with him. He's going to appear in the sky in glory, and we are going to appear with him. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't have a full comprehension of that, but that's how I take the plate back inside in the midst of what we are facing in this world. I'm going to tell you some real practical things to kind of close out this sermon, but what I want you to hear is that there is a promise in Jesus Christ that it's the power of the resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. You can't have one without the other. But if you have the power, you're gonna suffer. And if you are suffering, you are gonna have access to power in the resurrection. So the next question that kind of pops in my mind is, how can I set my mind on things above? You know, so if we're thinking, uh, you know, you know, those reasons of why, but now we have to think about how. And Paul sort of uh, alludes to in Colossians that one thing that we can do is think about what lays me low. So what, I, what Paul does in Colossians is he shifts from being the, the, the pumping up kind of coach to say, when Christ appears, you'll appear with him in glory to say, and, and I've got some more practical instruction. That's what happens, right? Lydia's coach on the, on the next morning of the tournament, she had to say, here's what you guys did wrong. Here's what we're going to work on. That's just sort of how that works. And so uh, I want you to think about what lays you low. This is just sort of practical. Use your mind to think about what, what takes your mind from up here uh, to down here. So does watching hours and hours of news lift you up? I'm just asking. Does clicking every notification that comes across your phone take your mind up to a higher place? Does uh, binge watching for seven hours some Netflix show take your mind to a higher place? Look, I'm not saying, some of you are like, yeah, it does. I feel really relaxed. I'm saying that's awesome. What I'm, but what I want you to do is think. Use your brain and ask yourself what, what lifts me up and what takes me low. Does talking to that person who drains you for 30 minutes every day before you leave the office take your mind to a higher place or to a lower place? Rachel and I have decided to take a break from social media just for, just for a season, I think, because what we found is that it's just been sort of laying us low. You heard about a description of a typical day where our bodies might be moving all over the place. So then when we come and we have that time where our minds can now stop, if we're looking at that, our minds are going all over the place. And we just sort of said, this isn't leading us to think on what is praiseworthy and excellent. 
That's not, uh, I'm, not getting on, I'm not getting on to you. I'm not blaming your post. You know, some of y'all are elbowing your husband. I told you you shouldn't have posted that. Pastor was going to see it. That's, that's not what it's about. I'm just saying for us, we're like, we're going to take a break from that because, uh, you know, we're, we really want to try to do this, to set our minds on what's praiseworthy and, and excellent. So Paul actually, in this letter in Colossians, he says, you're going to have to get rid of some stuff. Like, the practical stuff, he's like, there's some things that you're going to have to put to death. He names sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. And he says, you're going to have to get rid of some things. The things he lists, I'm sure they're different, maybe different for you, but he says, you're going to have to get rid of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. And so it just, it's just kind of this practical teaching that, yeah, if you're going to start putting your mind in a higher place, there's probably some lower things you're going to have to get rid of. So how can I set my mind on things above? I have to get rid, uh, I have to get rid of some things, right? Think about what lays me low and get rid of some things. And then kind of one more thing that I want us to think about and how can I set my mind on things above? I have a really long sentence, maybe my longest sentence ever for your uh, program notes, but uh, it's this. How can I set my mind on things above? Seek to live a regular disciplined life in prayer, in the scriptures, in worship, in service, and in community. Seek to live a regular disciplined life in prayer, in the scriptures, in worship, in service, and in community. This is not a flashy sentence, okay? This is, do you want to grow up? You want to grow up in Christ? It's, it's, just, uh, it's just some practical thing. Uh, when people join the church, I know you see people join the church here, we ask them a question. Will you seek God, welcome people, offer Christ, and respond by serving? You know what we're asking them to do? To seek to live a, a life where they, they're in prayer, in the scriptures, in worship, in service, and in community. And this is for everybody. On Thursday night, we had an 88-year-old uh, lady who just moved to this community join the church. And Pastor Mark had her down on the floor, and it was such a powerful moment. And she said, uh, I'm home now, right? And he asked her that question, and she said, 88 years old, she's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to try to live into this, this way of life. But what was cool is after the service in the lobby, a little boy who's eight years old named Hunter came up to me, and he said, I want to do that. And we went in the prayer room, and we talked, and he prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I said to him, to an eight-year-old, I said, okay, Hunter, this is awesome, man. When Christ appears, you're going to appear with him. But I said, now we got some stuff we're going to need to do together, Okay. We're going you know, to pray together, read the scriptures, worship together, be in service and in community. And so this is just sort of like um, uh, if I was a coach, you know, I'd say, okay, this is what we got to do, guys. Here's the right footwork, you know. Here's the placement on, on the court. What I mean by that kind of regular discipline life is there's some there are powerful things that can happen in that. So the, the one-time event is cool. Like, I believe that somebody's life can be changed one time coming to worship. I've seen it. I had a guy recently. He's 20 years old. He was here for our first week of the Brave, Strong, Known Love series. He was sitting right back there in the back, and he said, God spoke to me in that. He said he began to cry, a 20-year-old guy, and he said, God came and changed my life in that moment one time. That's really cool. Um, there's the potential for that to happen, but if you say, I'm going to come to worship every week, I guarantee you your life will change. And it's not because you're going to hear a timely sermon or we'll have the right song that day. It's because week after week after week after week after week, you will be setting your mind. I'm going to set my mind on Christ. I'm going to set my heart on things above. So, uh, like, if you go to a small group once, which is an amazing ministry of our church, or say Care Night, if you go to that once, probably nothing's going to happen. But if you were to stay in for, like, three years, you'll start thinking differently. 
The scriptures are an amazing thing. They're living and active. There could be a scripture I read today that just kind of comes into your heart and does something. It's really cool. But if you said, I'm gonna read the scriptures every day, in 20 years, your brain will work differently because you'll be setting yourself on it time after time after time. You'll start, um, you'll start uh, setting your heart on the things above and, and setting your mind on the things above. So I'm just, this, I hope, is just a gentle invitation. In the midst of this series, we said, we wanna grow up. We wanna mature. We wanna go to this place. We wanna go deeper. Well, it's not, it's not usually just some kind of big one-time thing. It's more something that looks a lot like that. I'm gonna be a person of prayer. I don't know how to pray, but I'm gonna try. I'm gonna start reading the Bible. I may miss four days one time. God's not keeping a tally list. Jump back in, right? I'm gonna try to worship every week. I'm gonna make it a habit of my life. I don't wake up on Sunday mornings and think, am I going? I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna start serving other people. I'm gonna start setting my mind where I'm gonna lift up people that are hiring me, and I'm gonna do this in community with this great group of folks who can hold me together. That's sort of like the Christian life. You know, the scripture says, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above. So what I want us to do this morning as we come forward for communion is uh, maybe we just do it in honor of a great saint of our church, Jay Sims. I want you to keep your head up, okay? Some of you are already dropping your head. You're like, oh, that practical instruction stunk, you know? But no. Why? The body of Christ broken for you. It's not about what you do or how you earn it, okay? So, so today in communion, uh, let's keep our chins up, all right, and receive the body and blood of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for teaching us. Uh, we thank you for holding us close. We thank you for a grace that is abundant. We thank you that the body and blood of Christ is meant for every person, and every person here means something to you and to us. So help us feel our chins going up as we see the bread. And as we see the face of the person serving us, help us to see the face of Christ. Let, the, blood, let the, the bread and juice be for us, the body and blood of Christ. Amen.